Amen. And I ask you to give your attention to the Word of God. Guess where we are? Luke. But we're making progress, right? And continuing to remind ourselves that the doctor has good news. Luke, identified as a physician in the Word of God, who undertook the work of an historian and a declarer of the gospel, has carefully written for us this record of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Remember, the gospel narratives were never intended to tell us everything that we might want to know about Jesus. They are not exhaustive biographies. We've already noted how that there are there's a huge gap in the life of the Lord Jesus. We know about his birth. We know about events that transpired immediately around that time. We know about uh, an event that happened when he was 12 years of age, when they went to Jerusalem and took off back home, and he wasn't there, and they had to go back after him. But other than that, we know practically nothing about the childhood and raising of the Lord Jesus, except just a few things that are mentioned. So these are not exhaustive biographies, but we do have here everything that we need to know. And especially as we think in terms of what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. Apart from him, we are lost. But the good news is that Jesus has come. So, as we have been making our way, let's continue along that way, picking up in chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. Again, this portion of God's word, a word that the Holy Spirit himself has inspired, and it therefore is without error, our only infallible rule of faith and practice. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. That's the reading of God's Word. May He bless it to our understanding and to our very hearts. Oftentimes in life, we meet with the unexpected. People don't turn out to be who we thought they were. I remember one time when I was at a conference, I was uh, there to listen to Frank Barker, who was the lead pastor of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, one of the largest churches in our denomination. And I'd heard all kinds of stories about Frank Barker. And I went into that meeting expecting to see somebody that was about seven feet tall with lightning bolts coming out of his eyes. And when it came time for him to speak, the man got up there and he cleared his throat three or four or five or six times and, <clears throat> and 
<clears throat> he just started talking. <clears throat> and I thought, there must be two Frank Barkers. I misunderstood. But then the man read the scripture and in his own inimitable way began to preach. I realized about five or six minutes into the message that my heart was absolutely captivated. And I realized that there before me was not a great orator. He was not a great Christian statesman in the way that our minds would tend to conjure up. But rather, there was a servant of the Lord and of his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I realized there, all of a sudden, when it comes to gospel ministry, it's not about who we are. It has everything to do with who he is. Now, you may think that's Christianity 101, and it is. But it took that event in my life to help me recognize just the glory and wonder and majesty of the Lord and how important it is to proclaim him and never ourselves. And so we have John the Baptist. Remember now, I told you, had he had more information, he would have been John the Presbyterian. But at this point in time, at this point in time, he is John. I'm just kidding. I'm not trying to offend anybody online or otherwise. John the baptizer, the one who came proclaiming the word of the Lord, this this strange character who we are told in the other gospel accounts had lived out in the wilderness. He wore camel hair. And don't think about your nice camel hair suits or sport coats that you've had been through the years. We're talking about just rough hide of a camel tied together with a leather band around his waist. You know, that part is okay. Remember, it's that part about eating locusts and wild honey. Honey's okay, but that's eating locusts. Now, when I was in science in the eighth grade, I remember Mr. Sandy Davis, one of our science teachers, roasted a grasshopper over a Bunsen burner and told us that we could eat it. And all of us boys did because all of the girls dared us to for no other reason. And you know what I'm going to say. It tastes like chicken. What does chicken taste like? That's what I've never figured out. Grasshoppers. Yeah, thank you. I did decide that the crispier the better. Hold them over the Bunsen burner just as long as you can. Get them just as crisp as you can. I don't know how John the Baptist ate those things, but he did. That's what he lived off of. He was living off the land. He didn't live in luxury, in other words. He didn't didn't take his meals at the Hyatt. He, He took them out there in the wilds. And so this man came. Not trying to enrich himself. He wasn't uh, somebody who was trying to, uh, to gain wealth for himself. But he came proclaiming the word of the Lord as we already have encountered him. And he was baptizing people. He was even baptizing those who were the offspring of Abraham. There was no biblical warrant for that up until now. After all, they were born Jewish. There was no need to undergo a cleansing ritual to indicate that they were proselytes or those who were converting to Judaism. That was why it would have been done otherwise. But no, he was telling everybody as he proclaimed baptism for the repentance of sins that they were to be baptized. And so he was undertaking that ministry as the one who was preparing the way of the Lord. And all the people were in expectation because they realized something new was happening after Four to five hundred years of relative silence when God had not proclaimed his word through a prophet since the days of Malachi. Now, 
John was proclaiming God's word in the wilderness and their expectations were high. Is this the Messiah? Might he be the Christ? And of course, John responds to him. Hey, look, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's somebody come that's really going to do it. Water is a mere symbol of cleansing and washing of sin. You can beg all day long. It's not going to cleanse your heart. It's not going to wash you from the sin that would forever separate you from God. But it does represent the cleansing which God provides, which John here compares to a baptism of fire. The one who's coming, the one that you're looking for, he is going to perform the actual act of cleansing so that things aren't merely symbolically washed away with water, but are actually removed even as by fire. And by the way, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. So we see here something very important for all of us to understand that faithful servants of the Lord point others to the Lord and away from ourselves. It's a lesson we have to continually learn throughout the course of life. Now, Jesus said we are the light of the world, but the purpose of our being the light is ultimately so that others will see the real light. You know how beautiful the moon is when the moon is full and shining bright in that beautiful Florida sky out out behind our condominium where we're living currently. When the moon rises there from the east, it comes right up over some palm trees. And it's just one, it looks like a postcard picture. And I thought, that's the kind of thing I saw on a postcard growing up. I'm getting to live now in a place where it's, it's right there. And that moon is so bright and it's so beautiful. But, but all of us know from our, classroom experience that the moon doesn't emit any light it's just reflecting the light of the sun that brilliantly is shining on it making it appear to be the light and is that not the case with all of us who know the lord jesus christ it's not that as if the light emanates from us jesus is the true light of the world we're just reflecting that which emanates from him And so we should give attention to him. In John chapter 3, verses 28 and 30, John testifies there, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He must increase, but I must decrease. I am more and more coming to be at peace with the prospect that my purpose here on earth is to declare the gospel of Jesus and then I will die and will melt away into relative obscurity. That bothers me not at all. I used to think about where I wanted to be buried back home. I used to think about the cemetery. And I still do sometimes, but I think about the cemetery where eight generations of my family have their earthly remains committed there. My four greats-grandfather, William Pinckney McClure, born in 1801, died in 1866. I know exactly where he's buried. And I thought, yeah, be there. I'll have a headstone there one of these days. You know what? The older I get, I just don't care. I don't care. I've already told Kathy, do the cheapest thing available. (laughs) Save the money. Go to the beach. Right over there just doesn't matter while i live on this earth i get to preach the lord jesus christ it's not for fame and it's not for riches 
And it should not matter to us whether anybody ever knows our name or not. But what we care about and are concerned about most is that the world knows about Jesus. The other thing that we learn and discern here is John was baptizing is, as I've indicated, baptism is just a visible symbol of an invisible but incredibly powerful reality. Baptism doesn't save anyone. The thief on the cross, remember, Jesus said today, you will be with me in paradise. Somebody didn't run up and baptize him so that he could go to heaven. Baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is important for us. After all, Jesus commanded that we baptize. But nevertheless, it is a symbol of an inward reality that is essential if we are rescued. That work of the Holy Spirit wherein we are united to Christ and we benefit from his perfect life and righteousness and from his atoning death so that we die with Christ and live with Christ. That's the work of God's Holy Spirit as he actually cleanses us of sin and unrighteousness. Remember, as by fire. Something else that we need to note as we talk about these matters is that Jesus is the one who has ultimate power with final authority, which he will thoroughly exercise. I think about people in the world who think they have power, who think they have authority. I've uh, told them in Sunday school, had experience with a, a book recently by Barbara Tuckman entitled The Zimmerman Telegram. The primary reason the United States was pushed into World War I was because the German foreign minister sent a telegram that uh, offered Mexico its old territories in the southwestern United States back if they would come in on the side of Germany in the war. It was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, suddenly the United States was thrust into that First World War. And I, as I listened to those names, listening to it on audio, I was thinking about, boy, in their day, those were the movers and the shakers. Woodrow Wilson, the president, Balfour, the prime minister in England, the, the German generals, Ludendorff and so forth. And now, you mention those names on the street, most people wouldn't have a clue who you're talking about. They have passed from the scene. And whatever power and prestige they achieve for themselves has melted into the obscurity of history. If you want your life to count for something, live it for Jesus. If your purpose in life is to accumulate stuff and to achieve a reputation, I'm sorry to tell you, but the day is coming when you will be no more. Your stuff will be dispersed. And nobody will know your name. But if you know Jesus, your name is written on the rolls of heaven. And you will endure far beyond the obscurities of this life and of this world. And you know what? I'm banking everything on that. <laughs> I hope you're not banking on the stock market right now. <laughs> Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. All authority. That's not pretend. That's not something perceived. And it's not temporary. Jesus' reign over the earth and over all of creation and over heaven itself will continue throughout all eternity. 
And so as we trust in him, repenting of our sins, we're simply lining ourselves up with the one who matters. Well, moving on. As we look at John, as we look at how he testifies here, we have to understand and know that a faithful ministry of the gospel, and all of us should be concerned about the ministry of the gospel as believers, not just ministers who are formally ordained to that purpose, but all of us should find it to be important that a faithful ministry of the gospel includes warnings of future judgment. Oh, I know, that's what Christians are notorious for, right? That hellfire and brimstone preacher that is uh, made fun of and derided by media and comedians the world over. Now, we do have to take certain care and talking about things after all as somebody said we shouldn't be a preacher like the one who talks so much about hell that one little boy thought he must be from there but we cannot escape the fact that there will be an accounting that one day there will be a judgment that the lord jesus himself will be the one who renders judgment and you wonder how is that good news Because you're finding out about it now. You know, warnings are good things. The bridge is out up ahead. Stop. I would be very grateful if there's a bridge out and somebody stops me and tells me that it's out. And if I keep going, I'm going to meet with my certain demise. I'm glad that doctors are able to perform tests and tell us that there are things like legions that can be treated and all other matters. I'm grateful. Seven years ago when our daughter was going through the horrors of chemotherapy, I'm thankful that a doctor identified the cancer and that God provided so that she's cancer-free. I'm thankful that there are such things as warnings. And if we're faithful in our task, we will be faithful to declare that, yes, there is a judgment coming. John the Baptist warned the masses. He told them. I mean, in language that was familiar to them i mean we read things like winnowing fork and we think what's that you know i know what a salad fork is what's a winnowing fork you know as they cut the grain as they brought it in on the stalk and they laid it out on that smooth ground that was called the threshing floor the wheat had to be separated you would roll over that with a heavy object typically pulled by oxen a roller type thing with maybe some rocks or other teeth in it to separate the the pods of wheat from the stalk and then the the wrapping around the wheat the chaff you had to separate that from the grain so that you could you know have something to make bread out of eventually that's what i think about when i read this you're getting to the point we're going to have good biscuits and you'd have to throw that wheat and chaff up into the air and the chaff would disperse and blow away and the grain would fall back to the floor and you kept doing that over and over again until you have just the wheat so you can grind that up and make it into dough and have biscuits you can tell lunchtime's getting close except in this case the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire There is that which is of true substance, that which has been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, but all else will be burned away. And you wonder, how is that good? What kind of heaven would heaven be if sin and wickedness were not dealt with? 
Can you imagine what it would be like to live in eternity with this confused mess we now know in this life? Is it not an act of grace and mercy that God deals with the evil and wickedness so that heaven will be a place of righteousness and glory and joy and of all of us living in peace because we all will do God's will? One of the most wonderful phrases in all of Scripture to me is that which occurs in the last chapter of the book of the Revelation when it says, and his servants will serve him. I ponder that sometimes. Because I think about everything that encumbers me in the here and now. Oh, thinking that I've gained victory over one aspect of my thought life or, or things that I've said quit saying things that I shouldn't say and think things better in the way that I ought to think, and then all of a sudden some other sin crops up, and I'm wondering where did that come from, and how can I really be a Christian if that's going on in my heart, and all of that conflict that is within me, and I'm giving thanks that one day that will be no more. We will live in his presence, and sin and death will be no more. But the proclamation of a future judgment goes hand in hand with the declaration of the good news. And serving the ultimate authority will often mean that we run afoul of corrupt earthly authorities. You see, Herod, and I won't go into all the sordid details, but he basically stole his brother's wife, a woman to whom his brother should not have been married anyway because she was his half-sister, Well, as I said, there's no need to go into all that. Sin is confusing. It's a dark world to live in. And John proclaims the sin that Herod was living in. He was being honest. He was preaching faithfully. He got thrown in prison for it. You know, we like to write stories like that because we like to think the good guys always come out in the end. I've shared this with you before, but it's one of my things I stand on a soapbox about. You know, people criticize Christian movies sometimes because they'll say they're not reality. You know, thinking about facing the giants when the kid makes the field goal. Sorry about the spoiler, and I didn't give you an alert. You know, the kid makes the field goal, and they say, well, that would have been more realistic if he had missed the field goal. And I want to think, you know, I don't spend $15 to go to the movies to be depressed. At least at the movies, I want the good guys to come out on top. I know what reality is. I've missed the field goal, proverbially speaking. I know what it is to come out on the bottom. If I'm going to spend that much money and eat that popcorn that they charge through the nose for, I want the good guys to win. Now you know my philosophy of life. We live in reality. And we know if we'd written this, we would have said, well, John faithfully proclaimed the word and he was rewarded for it. Herod recognized the evil of his ways, but he didn't. And John went to prison and he eventually loses his head on a whim. But look at what John gained. A servant of the Lord who even at this moment is with the Lord because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord And you have to ask yourself the question, what really matters? Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. And we're living in a time when we have to choose every day, am I going to follow the Lord and his word, or am I going to take the path of least resistance? 
It's easier in the short term to take the path of least resistance, to simply fit in, to go along with the current trend. But ultimately, that path leads to a place we don't want to go. So John was faithful even though it meant consequences. Now, Jesus is baptized. Why? He had no sins for which he needed forgiveness. He wasn't repenting of anything. What we simply need to know is this. Jesus did not submit to baptism because he was a sinner, but Jesus submitted to it because all righteousness must be fulfilled. As we are commanded and instructed to be baptized, Jesus also submitted himself to that covenant sign so that he could identify with us. But there is something more here. Notice that Luke doesn't even tell us here that John's the one who baptizes Jesus. We know that he does from the other gospel accounts, but Luke's purpose is to show us something more profound. Look at verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized... I simply want to point out to you this, that his baptism is symbolic of him taking on sin, not of having it washed away. Think at least figuratively that that river in which the people were baptized, and I'm not even getting into the mode. That's not the point of it, right? The washing of sins away, at least figuratively speaking, that river was the means by which those sins were washed from all of those people. Jesus enters it not to have his cleansed away, but to take upon himself sin, which is ultimately symbolic of what he does for us on the cross. He who knew no sin becomes sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Two other things quickly. Jesus' ministry was done in the open with the full blessing of his Father. He comes openly. He proclaims the word of God openly. Everything that he does is in view of others, right up to the point of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Not things done in secret, not things that only happened to him so that he told us about it, but rather all of his life and ministry was lived out in the open transparently. We see that here. But, oh, what a testimony that is born concerning him. Because when we see that he carried out his work with God's blessing, the Holy Spirit descending visibly upon him like a dove, in the form of a dove, that, that bird which is a symbol of, of peace. Jesus carries out the work of the Prince of Peace throughout the course of his life and even now. Empowered by the Spirit of God with the full blessing of the Heavenly Father. Jesus does not at this moment become the Son of God. There is a strain of teaching that has continued down through the ages. And as Steve Brown would say, it comes out of hell and it smells like smoke. Did I get your attention? Jesus did not at this moment become something that he was not previously. He has been the Son of God throughout all eternity. He was the Son of God at the moment that he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and when he was brought forth and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. He has always been the Son of God. It is at this moment that God demonstrates his pleasure with him in granting to him the Holy Spirit in a visible way so that the whole world may see that what Jesus undertakes, he does so in the power of his Father 
as the Holy Spirit rests on him. And so our trust in Jesus to save us is backed by the power and testimony of God. Notice that when Jesus is baptized, he's praying. And that as he prays, the heavens are opened and the voice thunders forth. Luke doesn't even identify the voice. He doesn't have to. This is the voice of the Father declaring, This is my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. A word of assurance to Jesus and a word of testimony to the whole world. Listen to him, as he will say later. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? Beloved Son. This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So that when we, in repentance and faith, trust in Jesus, we gain the one with whom the Father is pleased, the one that the Father loves. And that's why nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus because there has never been a moment and there will never be a moment when God the Father has not loved his Son. And being united to him through faith, God's love for us is absolutely assured. So I don't know about you, I have less and less concern about making a name for myself. I want my life to count for something. I want my life to be in Christ. I want to proclaim Christ. I want to live for Christ. And as Jesus begins his ministry, he does so with the love, encouragement, and acceptance of the Father And that's why Jesus never fails. He will not fail you now. Just as he did not fail in that hour. To step up and do all. All that the counsels of God had determined that he would do. In the course of his earthly ministry. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. He fills our every law. There's none like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive our sins, we pray. And again, we ask you for grace, that our eyes will be open to the glory and majesty and wonder of Jesus. That we may surrender, repenting, turning away from sin and embracing your beloved son. Father, we pray that this congregation will increasingly, as it has been faithfully throughout these 17 years, that it increasingly will continue to be your mouthpiece, a means by which Jesus is proclaimed to the world. And we pray that by your grace, an untold number of men and women and boys and girls would come to salvation because of the work that you're doing in us. Imperfect though we are. May this ragtag group of imperfect people proclaim the one who is perfect faithfully until he comes and then in eternity continue to speak 
of him. We ask you this in his name. Amen. As we conclude, a hymn is just as I am. That's how God bids us come, just as you are. Get myself cleaned up, start living right, do what I ought to do, then I can come to God for salvation. You're never going to get there. You come as you are. Now, God's going to do the cleaning up and make you into what he wants you to be. But in the meantime, come. And for believers, what a wonderful time to remember how he received us and how he continues to receive us as we seek him in prayer. So let's all stand together and sing to his glory, just as I am.
And I promise you by his own word, if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. And so may grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.